Hello, this is Father Michael Eads from the Toronto Oratory, and you're listening to Lexio et Oratio, a short spiritual reading podcast followed by a reflection. St. John Henry Newman, Apostle to the Doubtful by Mariel Trevor and Leonie Caldicott. The early years continued. Italy and the Oxford Movement. In 1833, Newman and a friend, Earl Froude, traveled to Italy on vacation. He had the chance to observe a number of Catholic devotions, and his impression of the Roman Catholic Church as intrinsically corrupt and spiritually decayed, the received notion in English Protestant circles, began to be altered. Even though the religious practices of the Italians felt culturally alien to his English sensibility. The experience of another illness, this time serious enough to be life threatening, whilst staying alone in Sicily, marked a watershed for Newman. It is here that he wrote his famous poem, Lead Kindly Light, and pledged himself to undertake the work of renewing and purifying the Church of England, no matter what the cost. Immediately on his return, Keeble preached his famous sermon on national apostasy, and the Oxford movement was launched. The tracks of the movement were delivered by keen adherents to vicarages around the country. Newman rode out on horseback to deliver some himself. The movement caused great excitement in the 1830s, especially among the young, stirring them up to consider the nature of the church and its position vis-à-vis the state, with which it had been inextricably entwined ever since King Henry VIII had declared himself, and not the Pope, its head on earth in England. Newman, who at this time had begun his pioneering studies of the fathers, then much neglected, had realized that the church, though sometimes forced to acquiesce in virtual state takeovers, had always conceived itself to be an autonomous community. Communion and Catholic, that is, universal, supranational, with the bishops as guardians of the apostolic faith. Although he regarded himself as merely one of a group of friends, Newman was undoubtedly the most dynamic leader of the movement, and his influence grew not only from the tracts, unsigned, but from his sermons, which because he published them in a series of books, received a nationwide audience. Readers expecting controversial Catholic views were faced instead with a psychologically penetrating preaching of Christ the Lord, the Christ of the Gospels, his words, his works of healing, his mysterious self-sacrifice on the cross, his resurrection from death, and continuing presence in the communion of his followers, and the challenge he presents to all to change their lives in following him. Thus, the Catholic revival 
was a true religious revival addressed to conscience. From 1833 until 1841, Newman was the chief instigator of the Oxford movement, which was growing all the time, reviving interest in the Catholic elements in a tradition long overlaid with Protestant ideas, but also arousing strong opposition, but also arousing strong opposition from the majority of establishment men. For these, Tract 90 was the last straw. In it, Newman argued that the 39 articles, which had to be signed by all ministers of the Church of England and all members of the university, were not so much a protest against the Catholic faith as against medieval errors and corruptions. They could therefore be taken in a Catholic sense. This was essential to the case that the Church of England was part of the Catholic Church. But it provoked an uproar in London, as well as in Oxford, where Newman acknowledged his authorship in answer to a censure from the university authorities. London papers proclaimed that popery was unmasked at Oxford. This was the beginning of the legend of Newman as a guileful, dissimulating, secret papist. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Angels of God, our guardians dear, to whom God's love commits us here, ever this day be at our side, to light and guard, to rule and guide. Amen. Most sacred heart of Jesus, teacher of teachers, have mercy on us. Saint Philip Neri, gentle guide of youth, patron of thy own, vessel of the Holy Ghost, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Friendship was always very important for Saint John Henry Newman. It was friendships that helped lead him to Christ. It was friendships that helped him find the truth. It was friendships which sparked this great Oxford movement of which Newman was a leading figure, but not the initiator. Newman was very influenced by friends, but he in turn was also very influential. And what Newman really wanted was for his friends to be close to the Lord. He wanted his friends to seek God with him. He wanted his friends to carry on a great work, a great work for God, a great work for the church. And it was particularly the friendship with Hurl Frude that really opened Newman's mind to Catholic elements in the Anglican tradition. It was Hurl Froude that really taught Newman to appreciate the Catholic faith as they understood it. They were Anglicans, but to understand this sort of greater church 
this church with sacraments, this church which was more than just English. Earl Froude really helped Newman to dislike the reformers, Luther and Calvin, and to look for the bond of the Church of England with the universal church. Because Newman began to see if the church does not have a foundation on the apostles, if the church is not independent of the state, then what is she? Where does her authority come from? And because of the way the Church of England was founded, Henry VIII setting himself up as the supreme head of the church on earth in England, not the Pope, therefore the church in England always had this connection with the state. It was always this difficult relationship between the state and the church. And Newman and the Oxford movement was trying to set the church free. And in trying to understand what the church is, they were faced with the question of what it means to be Catholic, what it means to be one, what it means to be holy, what it means to be apostolic. And Newman really grounded his position on the apostolic nature of the church, that there was this unbroken line going back to the apostles, leading to the church of today, which continued to teach with the authority of the apostles. That was the question. That was what he thought. And this movement was very exciting, wasn't it? It's being spread not by the internet, but by horseback. They're copying these tracks. They're taking them around. Churches are getting very excited. It's a sort of exciting movement within the Church of England to re-Catholicize to deepen the Church of England. But notice one last thing. For Newman, this Catholicizing of the Church of England was not primarily a liturgical or a ceremonial thing. Newman wasn't just trying to go for kind of Catholic trappings. That's why his sermons are so important. They were psychologically penetrating. That is, he understood the human soul. He understood what tempts us. He understood what motivates us. And he was trying to lead people to the real Christ who's in the Gospels and to lead people to conform their lives to Christ and to follow Christ more closely. But we cannot access Christ apart from the church. Christ and the church are one. Saul, Saul, Jesus said to St. Paul, why do you persecute me? He was persecuting the church. The church and Christ are one body. He's the head, we are his members. The church is the prolongation in time of the mystery of Christ, the mystery of the incarnation. And so let us, with Newman, love the church. Let us ask the Lord tonight to help us understand the church better. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.